Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? Hey, and I hope you're doing well, everybody. Jim McCarron's back with another edition of The Good, The Bad, and The TV on the number one podcast network for professionals, the Believe Podcast Network. Look for and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform, and then check us out on Believe.com, where you can find information on advertising on this or any of Believe's many podcasts. Now, let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 1969, the final year of a turbulent decade. It's a year of single-word headlines. Woodstock, Manson, Stonewall, Nixon, Vietnam, Zodiac, Chappaquiddick, Camille, Metz, Elvis, and, wait for it, Apollo. Which begs this lesser-known but equally important Single word edition. Farnsworth. The last name of the all but forgotten guy whose pioneering work in the development of television helped to make the whole moon transmission, certainly the visuals connected with it, a reality. Add in another word, his first name, Philo. And you have the two word history of television. Or you don't. Depending. The story behind the conception, experimentation, and introduction of television in the early 20th century, spoiler alert, it really is invented from scratch, not just something magically installed in newly built homes all these years, alongside the microwave, is a long and complicated and technical and sometimes boring one. The source material for libraries full of books and schools full of research and countless pieces of creative writing the world over, up to and including a 2007 Broadway play from Aaron Sorkin, no less, which celebrates the spirit, if not necessarily the facts of the story. Which is why you should go to your libraries, your schools, your bookstores, or their cyber equivalents to hear it. Pack a change of clothes. Here, an incredibly condensed to the point of unfair Cliff Notes version. Instead. Like all good stories, it tells the tale of a fight between two forces. Good and bad. Light and dark. Upstart and opponent. It's a David and Goliath story between two very different men. Namely, Philo Farnsworth and David Sarnoff. The idealist and the opportunist according to some. Their tale involves all manner of scheming and bullying, heartbreak and espionage, litigation, confrontation, manipulation, and machinations, ending for one with a self-crowned victory in 1939 and for the other in self-satisfaction 30 years later, on that July of 1969, when Apollo sets down and the world assembles to watch as man steps on the moon. And it all orbits around a simple question. Who invented TV? That question is at the heart of a book called The Boy Genius and the Mogul, what Goodreads.com website calls 
Daniel Stashower's captivating chronicle of television's true inventor, the battle he faced to capitalize on his breakthrough, and the powerful forces that resulted in the collapse of his dreams. End quote. Born in Utah in 1906 to Mormon farmers, Philo Farnsworth is a natural tinkerer and curious kid, always smarter than his age. He grows up obsessed with the engineering of things and then with creating and introducing this next step up communications tool being dreamt about called television. Philo is one of those brainiacs who never stops thinking about how things work. David Sarnoff, born in 1891 Russia and arriving with his family in 1900 New York, is already working to provide for the family at just the age of 15. A hustler in the purest and better sense, his initiative and interest and acumen result in rapid advancements in what becomes a media career, from its lower rungs to the ones at the very top. He's head of the RCA organization by the time he's in his 30s. David's one of those young wonderkin successes who never stops thinking of how things work for him. When it comes to this bound-to-happen invention of television, Farnsworth dreams of changing the world. Sarnoff dreams of owning it. Along with a handful of to-be-generally-uncelebrated names, but no less important in the 1920s, both inside and outside the United States, Farnsworth and Sarnoff work in parallel and intersecting lanes, one scientific and one economic, to realize the invention. But this is not an ordinary invention, Sarnoff is said to declare. This is a revolution, one that he's determined will benefit the growing RCA company that he heads. After all, what's an invention without patents and parts, which RCA will own? In fits and it starts through the 1920s, the idea of TV, all electric TV that is, given the failure of early-round, clunkier, non-all-electronic attempts, becomes a reality. Farnsworth makes most of the bigger inroads. In 1927, he invents the first fully functional, all-electronic video camera tube, or image dissector, leading to the first fully functional and completely all-electronic television system. Again, from goodreads.com. While Farnsworth's invention was a landmark, it was also the beginning of a struggle against an immense corporate power that would consume much of his life. That corporate power was embowered by legendary media mogul, RCA president, and NBC founder, David Sarnoff, who claimed that his chief scientist had invented a mechanism for television prior to Farnsworth's. Thus, the boy genius and the, mo and the mogul were locked in a confrontation over who would control the future of television technology and the vast fortune it represented. End quote. Sarnoff does offer to buy Farnsworth patents, this is in 1931, with the condition that Farnsworth becomes an employee of RCA. But Philo says thanks, but no thanks, and then spends years fighting David Sarnoff and, by extension, the monolith known as RCA in court. The good news is that when the dust of litigation settles in 1935, the boy genius emerges the victor. Philo Farnsworth is awarded by the courts what's called priority of invention. And a note for those of us who dispute the value of making both contacts and good impressions, 
as well as the influence of fate. It's not just his tenacity that wins the day. It's his relationships. From GeekHistory.com, quote, Philo T. Farnsworth was a Mormon farmer who lived in Utah, not exactly the place for the hotbed of technology. But in 1922, a young Farnsworth filled several blackboards in his chemistry class with sketches and diagrams showing his high school science teacher his idea for an electronic television system. Farnsworth received a patent for his television system, raised money from friends to build his invention. Many years later, that high school teacher would testify in court what he saw on the blackboards of the school in support of Farnsworth's claims. End quote. The bad news for the boy genius, though, it's the media mogul Sarnoff who nonetheless gets the glory. It's he who introduces the revolutionary invention called television on April 30th, 1939, opening day of the New York World's Fair, during the dedication of, wait for it, the RCA Pavilion. In front of both the crowd and an NBC camera, with hundreds more watching on a nearby monitor, and perhaps at best, on a handful of monitors around the local New York City area, he intones, Today we are on the eve of launching a new industry, based on imagination, on scientific research and accomplishment. Now we add sight to sound. Always the hustler, Sarnoff sees to it that a sort of I was there lobby card is passed out. It reads in part, Now that you have seen with your own eyes the wonderful new RCA television sets and other RCA products, we know you will realize more fully the meaning of our slogan, RCA all the way. Farnsworth's take, according to New York's Newsday, quote, Farnsworth scoffed at Sarnoff's declaration that TV had been born on April 30th, 1939. The baby is being born with a full beard, Farnsworth said, end quote. But as Goodreads.com further notes in its appreciation of Stashauer's book, quote, Farnsworth was enormously outmatched by the media baron and by his army of lawyers and public relations people. And by the 1940s, Farnsworth would be virtually forgotten as television's actual inventor, while Sarnoff and his chief scientist would receive the credit. End quote. Sarnoff, in fact, goes on to be referred to as the father of television. Years pass, and after a self-imposed isolation involving a not insignificant bout of depression, Farnsworth, wife, Pem, and family eventually moved to Provo, Utah where the inventor has more science-based tinkering and experimenting to do, more questions to ask, more mysteries to solve. He does keep both an eye and an ear on television, as the invention takes root and takes off. And he's reported to be disgusted. It's far from meeting his goals of exchanging cultures and educating viewers. This from the buyhigh.org website, quote, According to his wife, Pam Farmsworth, Phil saw television as a marvelous teaching tool. There would be no excuse of illiteracy. Parents could learn along with their children. News and sporting events could be seen as they were happening. She added, Symphonies would mean more when one could see the musicians as they played, and the movies would be seen in our own living rooms. 
He said there would be a time when we would be able to see and learn about people in other lands. If we understood them better, differences could be settled around conference tables without going to war. End quote. But Farnsworth is not seeing that. And he questions both his efforts and his worth. Then one day in July in the late 1960s, the well-told story goes, he sits down with his wife and with 650 million others around the globe to see man land and walk on the moon. This, he says, according to wife Pam, has made it all worthwhile. From the boy who invented television, a story of inspiration, persistence, and quiet passion by author Paul Shatskin, quote, For Philo T. Farnsworth, this extraordinary occasion provided a long-delayed moment of personal triumph, which erased any doubts about the value of his contribution. Just seeing with his own eyes that his invention made it possible for the entire world to witness those historic steps. End quote. Throughout his career, Philo T. Farnsworth keeps a plaque on his desk that reads, Men and trees die. Ideas live on for the ages. Philo Farnsworth dies on March 11th, 1971, in Salt Lake City, Utah. You gotta believe. And hey, by the way, Cliff Notes? While they were introduced by Clifton Hillegas in the United States in 1958, they're actually an idea born of a Canadian named Jack Cole, who created and published and distributed Cole's Notes before selling the idea to Hillegas in 1958. I'm Jim McCairns. We'll tell it all again in abbreviated form next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.